Welcome to the Emerging Temple broadcast for November 14, 2019. I am Michael Obeyer. I will be your guide for the rest of this broadcast. At Emerging Temple, we seek to analyze current events within the context of God's plan for mankind, a plan in which he intends to raise a government of people who will rule with him at the end of time. Before I go any further, once more, I want to encourage you to like our page, to share our videos with your friends and family. If you have a bell icon at the bottom of this video, I'd like you to go ahead and click on it so you can get notified anytime we upload new videos. I also want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel so you can be a part of this family. Um, if you have access to um, the internet uh, on your phone or um, a computer, anywhere you are, you can go to our website. It's templeoftruth.us. There you can see some of the things that, you know, past videos, you can also, you know, look about, you know, what we're about and what we believe in. So I want to encourage you, you know, visit templeoftruth.us. Also, please visit patreon.com. Go to patreon.com where you can support us if you want to be a Patreon member. And it's as little as a dollar a month you can support us um, in these broadcasts. So I want to thank you for those of you who have already done so. We really appreciate it. Um, helping us get new equipment and you know getting this word out there to the rest of the world okay today we want to um go a bit deeper into um the word and in the, as far as it as far as it relates to um the so-called one world religion that um the antichrist is putting together of all the all the um, one world ideas that you know we've heard about there's none that sounds as ludicrous to me as the one world religion but i don't want to go into the details of you know that right now i just want us to look at you know a certain aspect of it that has actually began to take place and which is the so-called rebuilding of the third temple in jerusalem uh, for those of you who might not know, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about the Lord reestablishing um, re Jerusalem and there putting a new temple, a third, so-called third temple um, in Jerusalem. That's The first temple was that of Solomon, King Solomon. The second temple was that built by King Herod, which um, Jesus you know, had you know, um, preached in. And the third temple is the so-called temple of Ezekiel which shall be built in the coming millennium. Now, I want to, at the get-go, let you understand that there is not going to be any third temple established here on earth by God as a physical building. The Bible tells us clearly in the book of Acts that God does not dwell in temples or buildings made by hands. So what is the third temple of Ezekiel? The third temple of Ezekiel is the body of Christ, okay? And that temple is being built right now. And people like yourself, if you believe in Christ and myself, are part of, this, of, that, of, that, of that building that is being put together right now as a habitation for God. So I just want to get that out of the way. Now, all that I just said to you is clear in Scripture, but that... in even the fact that it's in scripture is not enough for a lot of people. A lot of Christians have gotten into this harebrained idea that Jesus is coming back to rebuild a temple, physical building in Jerusalem, 
And you can research this. Uh, there's so many popular ministers or pastors worldwide, you know, that teach this, this thing. And, you know, let's begin to use scripture. As I said, begin, because we don't always have the time to go deeper into this. The time is coming when we're going to have much longer broadcasts and series of broadcasts that will go deeper into things. But we're going to use, um, we're going to use what limited time we have to get across the basics to you so that you can be, you know, founded on the right foundation. Okay. You can build yourself from there. All right. So um, I would like us to take a look at uh, scripture. And um, after that, I'd love us to take a look at a clip of something. All right. So why don't we begin at the Old Testament and we look at, um, look at the book of First Kings. Yep. First Kings. Kings chapter 12, we'll take from verse 25, and I'll kind of give you um, kind of give you a synopsis of what was going on here. So the king of Israel, called Jeroboam, um, decided he wanted to have his own um, holy place where the people of Israel would come to pray to God, because the nation had been split into two between Judah and Israel. Israel had the 10 tribes, while Judah only had two tribes, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And they were, they were, based, in the, they were based in the south, where the capital was Jerusalem. Now, the other 10 tribes were in the north, and they, I believe they put their capital in Samaria or somewhere. However, the king of the northern kingdom, which is Israel, the king of Israel, decided he was going to establish his own priesthood, his own um, temple, and all of that, his own worship. And he came up with all kinds of things. So let's see what God said about this. So let's start from um, verse 25. So it's 1 Kings chapter 12 from verse 25. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If these people go to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he said, the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people. For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So he made his own priests, okay, this guy. Verse 32, and Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, the 15th day of the eighth month, even the month which 
he had devised in his own heart and ordained the feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Okay. Okay, so we see here, this man is like a lot of us today. We come up with our own ideas of what we believe ought to be regardless of what God says is, okay? So even in our marital relationships today, we believe that the wife and the husband are equal, even though God clearly tells us that the husband is superior to the wife. Okay, it doesn't matter that God said so. It doesn't matter. That's how we want it. We devise our own program and we go about it. Okay? Children, oh, they talk to their mother or their father like they're their mates, their buddies, you know, regardless of what God says in the scriptures. You can see this not just in, you know, in, in what people do as, you know, going against God in, you know, the very horrible things, but in simple things where God has told us clearly, this is my, this is my, this is my will. This is how I want things to be. But just like King Jeroboam, we go about, create our own system, create our own way of, of, of doing things, and then expect God to come along. If, if he doesn't want to come along, tough for him. We're going, and he better come along if he wants to be with us. And Jeroboam did this, and I don't need to tell you what happened with him at the end, okay? So you can go back there to the book of 1 Kings chapter 12 and take it from there, read, and find out more about this, because I'm certain some of you don't even know anything about this. Okay, which is to your shame. You need to know these things because these are the things that help keep you on the right track. Okay, now we started off by saying that many Christian pastors have joined in with um, Jewish people who hold on to this idea that a Messiah is going to come to the physical Jerusalem, build a temple, and you know, offer sacrifices there. And as absurd as this sounds to me, this seems to make a lot of sense to a lot of people out there. And I just don't understand, you know, the Bible says Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and the, his sacrifice and his death took away our sins and there was no longer any need for the offering of bulls and goats for atonement to God. That's what the Bible says. So where do these pastors who are coming together to reestablish this temple in Jerusalem, where are they getting this from? Okay. Uh, as I often do, I like to share a clip with you. So for you to take a look at something and, and see that, you know, this is something that is going on now. And after this clip, I want us to go further into the word and see what the real Jerusalem is, who the real savior is, who the real sacrifice is, and who the real priests are. Okay. So why don't we just take a look at this um, video clip? It's only about two minutes. Okay. <laughs> Hardline religious group Matei Irgunei Hamidash, or headquarters of the temple organizations, has a mission to rebuild a Jewish house of worship on Jerusalem's Temple Mount. Currently home to Al-Aqsa Mosque, Islam's third holiest site, the location has been long contested between the two religions. The Jewish group, however, maintains that the location is key for fulfilling biblical prophecies. It is a new start of the redemption, and we hope 
the text here or even before will be we will be on the temple mount the law will come from here all the 70 nations they will have a seat in the court and the law will be the law of the bible on a rainy day before passover the organization gathers on a rooftop in the old city to carry out a controversial practice ritual sacrifice under the watch of high security the sheep is brought to a secluded area religious followers continue to make final preparations we're on a another milestone in the process of the return of the Jewish people to their homeland. Young men playing the role of priests dress in biblical-looking clothes. It's now time to begin. Everyone gathers to pray as the priests reenact ancient traditions from the Bible. The event that takes place here is not an event in itself. It's a practice. It's a training. And uh, people are coming here to learn to understand out of the eye of the public the sheep is slaughtered its blood is brought out for ritual use and maybe this year in four days later the representative of the groups of the israelites will come with their lamb to the yards of their temple we built a kosher altar and start all the ritual of uh, pesach lamps to complete the sacrifice, the lamb is skinned and displayed for the group. The body is cooked to be eaten later that night. Wow. You know, look, some of these things are just so ludicrous. And Christians are actually buying into all of this. Okay? Look. These people went and they made up their own priests. They say they're rehearsing for when the Messiah will come. Look, God told Moses, priests can only come from the tribe of Levi. Now, who today is from the tribe of Levi? Okay, nobody knows that. That's just a fact. Anybody who tells you otherwise is just scamming you. Okay, now, this is good business for these people. They're scamming people. All right, but you know what? If it was just your money you were losing, I wouldn't even bother. But you could lose your soul going after these things, okay? The Bible says he wants you to know that what the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, okay? God is no longer accepting any more bulls and goats, okay? He is not. And so if you get yourself involved in that kind of thing, you're involved in some kind of voodoo witchcraft stuff, okay? Plain and simple. It has nothing to do with the God of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, let me explain to you something. The Bible teaches us that there is only one God and one mediator between God and mankind. Not these funny people you just saw. Okay? You know, I'm just being nice. You know, I could call them worse, but let's just call them funny people. Not these funny people you just saw in this clip. Okay, Christ. Okay, and if you are a part of the body of Christ, then you are a person who can be a mediator between mankind and God. Let me show that to you from the book of First Timothy, chapter 2. So, why, why, why don't we do that? Let's look at First Timothy, chapter 2. Okay, 
Okay, take First Timothy chapter 2. Let's look at the verse 5 and 6. I, I usually don't like taking scriptures like right from the middle, but for the sake of time, okay? Okay, so First Timothy chapter 2 from verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Okay? I'll repeat that. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In other words, to be confirmed when he returns. For those who are doubting, okay? So Jesus gave himself as the lamb, as the goat, as the bull, as the ram, as the wheat, as whatever offering God used to ask us for in the past. He doesn't accept those anymore. He only accepts the blood of Jesus Christ. And do you know that when Jesus hung on the cross, the scriptures tell us that the Romans, or well, the soldiers, I don't know if they were Romans, it just says soldiers, but it might be Romans, centurions, soldiers, whatever, they took a spear and they pierced his side. And the scripture said, water and blood gushed out of his side and poured onto the ground. Now, what does that mean? You and I know the blood of Jesus cannot die. And if it poured onto the ground, that means the blood of Jesus is still here on earth right now. And if you believe in Jesus, then that blood stands and speaks for you before God. When you make a mistake, when you do something wrong, or when you just need to talk to God about something, or about somebody, or some circumstance, or some situation. The blood of Jesus Christ is not just a chemical in the sky like, uh, like a deodorant or something. It's an active, living personality that speaks the bible says the blood of jesus christ speaks better things than the blood of abel okay so the blood of jesus christ is a personality all right so i want to clarify there are no animals that will be sacrificed and offered to god over and any person or any people involved in that are involved in witchcraft and I'm enmity against God. And I do not want us to be a part of that in any way. And any pastors that are turning a blind eye or winking at this or going along with it, they need to be called to order. They need to stop that nonsense right now. Okay? Now let's go a bit further. Let's go further. Let's 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 talk about the the, the meaning, the, the um the spiritual meaning of these things from the Old Testament. Okay, so let's look at the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Let's take it from verse 1 to 5. It says, Then verily the first covenant, that is the Old Testament, had also ordinances, that means laws or rules, regulations, of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made the first wearing was the candlestick. The word there should not be candlestick. It should be lampstands, 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 
okay? When there was a tabernacle made, made. the first wearing was the lampstand and the table and the showbread, which is called mm -hmm. the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manner and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak particularly now. Okay. Now, the Apostle Paul is trying to talk to us about the tabernacle that Moses built and the items that were in the tabernacle, okay? When Solomon came much later, he built not a tabernacle, he built a whole temple and still brought these seven items into the temple. Now, are we today going to go start looking for an Ark of the Covenant or a mercy seat or all these things you spoke about? No, because all these things are symbolic of something spiritual. That's why what we just read in Hebrews 9, he said the first covenant, being a shadow of this, it said that they had ordinances, okay, that were a shadow of something heavenly. Now, let's quickly, okay, let's quickly run down, if I can remember, if I can remember, these seven items that are important represent seven steps or seven stages that you and I are going to go through as Christians before we get into the place that God has intended for us to be in perfection, okay? Always remember the number seven stands for what? Perfection. So the first item that you got in the tabernacle was on the outside actually of the building, but within the tent, it was called the brazen altar, okay? The brazen altar was where the ram or the lamb was slain. It is equivalent to where Jesus was hung on the cross, okay? And that was outside. The second item next to that was the brazen laver or lava, okay? It was a bowl made of bronze, just like the altar was made of bronze. Bronze, by the way, symbolizes judgment in the Bible. When you read bronze in the Bible, think of judgment, okay? And the ram or the lamb that was slain was now washed in the brazen lava. So remember, I said the brazen altar is symbolic of where Jesus died for us. Okay, it's also symbolic of where you determined that you were going to give your life to Christ. So that's step one. Step two, I said, was the brazen lava, a bowl of bronze, in which there was water in there, and the animal that was killed was washed there. This represents the second step of your Christian life where you are sanctified and washed clean by the word of God. So in the Bible, it says that Christ um, washed his bride by the washing of water with the word, okay? So the brazen lava represents the word of God. So you come to the word of God now and then the word of God begins to change your mindset about a lot of things. But many of us still have that old mindset. We're Christians now, but we still think like how we used to think before we became Christians. Spiritual things still don't really appeal to us, okay? We still define things from our, from our what we would call carnal, outward, worldly way of thinking. We haven't been washed clean, okay? It's also symbolic about, of holiness, okay? Washing you clean means you become a holy person. You begin to, you know, 
avoid certain things that seemed okay before, okay? Or those things begin to leave you, all right? All right, the third thing, now, these two things were the outer court, which is outside. The next things you walk into what is called the holy place or the second step, okay? And in this second step, maybe you walk in here, you have three other items. Um, you have what was called the table of showbread. This table of showbread had 12 loaves of bread that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and this was this 12 loaves of bread represent the, the body of Christ. That remember when we have communion, sometimes you eat the loaf of bread, you eat the bread. So this represented when you come in and now you took you took on the life of Christ. Okay, so you ate the, the, the bread which you took on the life of Christ, which meant you start living a you start living a sacrificial life, okay? That not just a sacrificial life, but a life that has the life of Christ, the power of Christ. Okay, so they had the 12 loaves of bread. So that's the Third item that you run into in the in in the um, holy place. Then you also had um, what was called the um, altar of incense. Okay, the altar of incense represented a life of prayer. Okay, you had this altar of incense. All right, so it's it's there, and this altar of incense, uh, the priest would you know take the incense and kind of you know spray it you know in the room, and once a year he would actually go in to the um, into the Holy of Holies, which is the third place with it. But apart from the altar of incense, you also had what was called, um, what was called the, okay, I already talked about the altar of incense. I talked about the table of showbread. You had the, well, the mercy seat. You had the mercy seat, okay? The mercy seat was also outside, but once a year, the mercy seat would go inside into into the holy of holies okay then the other thing you had was what was called the seven golden lampstands okay so uh, the this is now the sixth item okay the seven golden lampstands all right if you i've read about you read it in the book of hebrews just now where i said not candlestick lampstands okay so now on the outer court let's go over it again outside you have two items you had the brazen lover you had the brazen you had the brazen altar and you had the brazen lava. So those two items are outside. Now you come inside, you have the table of showbread, you have the altar of incense, you have the seven golden lampstands, and you have the mercy seat. And I said the mercy seat once a year would go inside the Holy of Holies with the high priest, only once a year. But what do you find when you go into the Holy of Holies? You find the final item, which is what? the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Now, for those of us who, this is your first time hearing me talk about these things, as time goes on, I'll try to go deeper and further into these things. But what is the mercy seat symbolic of? The mercy seat is symbolic of where Jesus sits at the right hand of God, okay? When he says he sits at the right hand of God, it doesn't mean, you know, just like I uh, have a physical hand. It means a place of favor. So when he says he sits, to sit means a state of permanence, okay? I, 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 there's so much I want to say about this, but I have to, you know, control myself for now. And hopefully you will stay with me and over the next few weeks, months, and so on, we'll go deeper based on, you know, the feedback I get from you and what you, you know, what you need us, you know, to elaborate more on, okay? So you have the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands represent the light, the illumination that comes through revelation. So that once you're in the holy place, you begin to get revelation. The word of God comes alive to you. That's what the seven golden lampstands 
you know, represent. I mentioned to you about the altar of incense. The altar of incense represents your prayer life, okay? So the altar of incense represents your, your prayer life, okay? Um, and we, I think we already spoke about this, um, the table of showbread. I had the 12 bread, loaves of bread. I told you, you know, what those were. Um, now, uh, the holy of, uh, inside the Holy of Holies, you had the uh, Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of the presence of God. In other words, wherever the Ark of the Covenant was, that's where the presence of God is. That is why you will never find the Ark of the Covenant anywhere on earth today okay you will never find it so i know there's a great indiana jones movies and all of that you know raiders of the lost ark and all of that look all that is just you know hollywood it's fun i enjoyed the movie myself okay but today the body of christ you and i are symbolic of the ark of the covenant i want you to remember that the body of christ today is symbolic of the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, this is the book of 1 John or 2 John, the New Testament. It says, as he is, so are we in this world. Okay? So the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of the body of Christ. Notice I said the body of Christ. I didn't say the church, because there is a church within a church. Okay, I want you to understand that. Okay, there's a church within the church. Okay, and if many of you ask, I will describe this further in the comment section. I'll go deeper into it. Okay, but when we talk about the body of Christ, we're not talking about everybody that just says, I go to this church or that church. Okay, we're talking about those persons, those beings who are motivated by the Spirit of God from the inside. Okay, that's the body of Christ. All right, so. Now, let's look at one last scripture, and this is going to be the book of Revelation, chapter 8. We'll take it verse 1 to 5, okay? All right, Revelation, chapter 8, from verse 1 to 5, it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Verse 2, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense. Everybody remember the altar of incense. There was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints. Saints simply means you and I who believe in Jesus Christ, okay? All right, let's be clear on that now, okay? Of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne, okay? This is the altar of incense, all right? And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it on the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. I'm going to repeat verse 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. Notice in verse 4, he said that he mixed the incense with the prayers of the saints. He mixed the incense with your prayers. And when he threw it to the earth, it caused things to happen on earth. That means your prayers 
have efficacy. Your prayers are powerful. They cause things to happen. Now, friends, I have a question for you. Who is this angel? Do you think that today there's an angel that takes our prayer to God? When we are the sons of God? When Jesus Christ himself is our own intermediary? Why would an angel come and start replacing Jesus Christ on our behalf? Didn't we just read now that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus? Well, friends, that angel there is Christ. Okay, let's look at it one more time. Let's look at, I know what you're thinking. So let's, let's take a look at the book of First, of First Timothy chapter 2 one more time. Okay. Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Let me read that one more time. Verse 5. For there is one God and one, one, underline the word one, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay? Okay. So, you saw Christ taking your prayers and mixing it with the incense. And presenting it to the to present your prayers to God and taking the response of God and putting upon the earth and it caused earthquakes and all kinds of things. Okay, I don't want to go into those details, but the reason I decided to touch on this today is because I want you to compare what you have heard today. I want you to compare what you've heard today with the video clip you watched earlier and look at what levels okay those people are at. And what level this word is at and ask yourself which do you want do you want to follow the old tradition that god has abolished in the old testament huh or do you want to follow the word of god and the revelation of jesus christ that has power to transform your life from inside out and that's what we're offering brethren the word of god that is able to transform us and to change us and if you go back to those beggarly elements if you go back to those Old Testament practices, then you're living in sin. And that's what the Apostle Paul teaches us. He says, don't go back to those beggarly elements. Okay? And many of you are being, being forced today to believe that you have to identify with old Jewish fables. Okay? And Old Testament rules and regulations. And say, oh, Jesus Christ said he didn't come to abolish the law. Of course he didn't come to abolish the moral laws. Okay? He didn't come to abolish the moral laws. Thou shalt not steal. That didn't begin when God gave the Ten Commandments. You couldn't steal before the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. That what didn't come when the Ten Commandments came. Didn't Moses run away because he had killed somebody? So mankind knew what the moral laws were. We still do to this day, and they're going to be there forever. There'll never come a time when it's going to be okay to dishonor your father and mother. That's what Jesus is referring to. But as for the ceremonial laws, don't eat pork, don't do this on this day, don't work on that day, those are ceremonial. You say, okay, but what about the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day, the day of rest, is Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says there remaineth a day, a rest, of the people of God. That's in the book of Hebrews. I think it's in the second chapter. 
okay? The Sabbath day is not Saturday. The Sabbath day is a day of rest. In other words, God is saying, look, I have made this law for you. Don't work your workers seven days a week. Give them a day of rest. Don't work yourself seven days a week. Well, God is not saying if you find that you've got to work for seven days, you're going to go to hell because you had to work seven days stretch. That's not what he's saying. Do you, will you be a soldier fighting for your country and say, oh my God, it's Sabbath day. We can't fight today. You know, <laughs> what do you think your commander is going to do to you? All right. So come on. Jesus Christ said the law was made for man. Man wasn't made for the law. Okay. So I know the, 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 when you think of the Sabbath day, you think of Saturday or you think of, you know, for some of you, you know, it's Sunday for some of us, you know, and all that. Look, I can go into those things. The only reason I mentioned it is just because I know some of you questions will be provoking you. But like I said, in the chat section of this video, I'm willing to answer your questions. You go to our Facebook page, Emerging, Emerging Temple. You can watch this video there. You can chat there. I will answer your questions and we can take it from there. But I want you to know that there is a, there is a deeper meaning in the word of God. And that is what you've been called to eat. Not this surface level stuff, okay? So praise God. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I want to encourage you to share these videos with your family and friends. I also want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel, like these videos, like these pages, share them with, with those, share them with your friends at work, share them with, even with people who don't yet believe in Christ. Okay, share these with Muslims, share these with Jews, share these with Hindus and Buddhists. This is the true word of God. Men and women are hungry and thirsty for something that is authentic and real. And you have, you have access to this. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. Don't be ashamed of the word of God. Okay, friends, I want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure that you know, you're here again tomorrow to get the broadcast once more. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been Michael Bear for this hour with you.